Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt here covering Wisconsin Athletics. Good to be back with you guys. Uh, we had one episode come out this week that we recorded last week, so it's been a while since Matt and I have chatted. Uh, so I think we're both excited to uh, get this podcast underway. And on today's show, uh, we're going to go over some news. Uh, of course, the big one being the four-star commitment of Braylon Allen, who we had on the show so to go, he came on when he was still uh, considering his recruitment, uh, and he made his decision. So we are going to hopefully we're going to try and have him on again to talk about that. Uh, but that's still in the works. But we'll talk about his commitment. We'll get into some other news on the Wisconsin basketball side. Some offers have went out, and then in the back half of the show, we're going to have extra points publisher Matt Brown. Maybe you guys have seen uh, his outlet. If you haven't already, we'll talk about that. I think it's a very cool newsletter that goes out semi-regularly to uh, talk about things off the field in college athletics, kind of not your same typical stuff that you hear. You know, it's not game recaps. It's not things like that. It's big picture stuff uh, that kind of covers some off the field stuff. I think you guys will really enjoy the interview uh, and enjoy having Matt on the show. So my other Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, had a had a good week. In fact, yesterday I actually – Played in a golf scramble. Uh, I know you're an avid golfer as well, and I I won a brand new tailor-made driver. Uh, so that was that was definitely a highlight of the week. But how you doing, man? No, it was it was awesome. I was uh, incredibly pumped for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. Those things are not cheap, so to win one is uh, <laughs> yeah is a, is a nice plus for sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm good. I went just got back from a little. Mini vacation down in Asheville, North Carolina, seeing some family. Uh, so we're back. We're both refreshed. Matt's got a new driver, and uh, I think that means we're ready to hop into the news of the day and knock it out of the park. Let's do it. Here's what's happening. All right, Badger fans, our news of the day. Like we mentioned, we're going to start with four-star safety Braylon Allen making his commitment in the class of 2022. Uh one of the big six uh, that the Badgers are calling in terms of in-state talent uh, out of Fond du Lac High School. We talked to him, like I mentioned earlier, uh, in the, I can't remember, it was I think episode 163, so if you guys want to go back and listen to that, uh, make sure to go and do that. Uh, in terms of the commitment, uh, kind of a surprise, it, you know, when we talked to him, I didn't think he really hinted at any sort of timeline, uh, but it sounds like his mind was made up. Uh, and he made that decision. So what did you make of that? Of course, exciting news uh, for the Badgers to land a very nice four-star safety in that 2022 class. I think it's huge for the Badgers to be perfectly frank. I mean, 2022 kids, so there's a long time here before he's actually steps foot on campus, just finished up his sophomore year. But you look at him, 6'2", 220 plus, uh, he, he's kind of really – versatile and what he brings. I think when we talked to him, he talked about how just how versatile he could be because of his unique size and speed combination. He's really physical, uh, can can really bring the lumber out when he's playing defense. 
played a little running back, put a little wide receiver. Uh, is expected to play quarterback uh, for his high school at some point as well. Uh, he's just a really good athlete. Picked the Badgers over Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, and then he also had Ohio State, Florida State sniffing around and others. So it, it was a huge get for the Badgers. You you put on his film and and it, you understand why he's a four star according to two four seven and ESPN. I, I think it's it's like just a big domino that could get things started kind of uh, a spokesperson for that 2022 class. We, we've seen just how important that's been, uh, how those group chats get going, and it kind of just you know gets gets those dominoes rolling. And I think he's a kid who could definitely get that, especially as an in-state kid who, who has a good bond with the other kids in that Super 6 or the, the legendary 22 that I think Carson Hinton said their, their group chat's called. Yeah, exactly. You know, you think of the the reaches that these kids now have, especially uh, with each other. You know, he talked about in his in Braylon's interview with us, he talked about Hunter Waller and how he got to know him. I'm sure uh, Hunter was was recruiting him hard to come to Madison, and now you know, as long as everything stays the same in terms of his commitment, it's gonna you know spur the conversation where he's gonna go out there and and get after the other guys in state. You know, there's a lot of in state talent in that class, and uh, he's he's a big piece of that, you know. So to get that out of the way early and to get for the Badgers to to land a player of his caliber is awesome. But I think you really hit the nail on the head in terms of his play. A big athletic kid played a lot of positions. You know, in terms of his future, I, I I could see him getting bigger and maybe dropping down to linebacker at Wisconsin. But right now, you know, he looks like a great hybrid type player, and, and you know, have, his athleticism can kind of kind of put him all over the field, which is nice to have. And I think. Wisconsin's going to be excited to have a player like that that can do a lot of different things, brings athleticism to the table that the Badgers will you know, definitely need at that secondary position uh, with some guys here in the future you know, getting up there in terms of age and eligibility that way. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you look at him, he, he like you said, project, projection-wise, he could very well end up at, at linebacker, but I think when you pair him with a guy like Hunter Roller, who's more of a roamer, free safety, I think you can get away with having a bigger – uh, strong safety type that can really kind of rove around, come in the box, play downhill. Uh, you, we've seen it, it worked with a guy like uh, who is also kind of a, a former running back in high school, like Mike Cabuto, uh, Dakota Dixon. Those, that that role where he's not uh, just kind of pigeonholed into being a prototypical safety where he can kind of move around. I mean, I'm not going to say that he's going to be Isaiah Simmons, but at the same time, like. That that kind of viper um, rover position is becoming very popular uh, across college football. A little bit more positionless on defense, and you look at Jim Leonard's defense and the amount of linebackers they're bringing in, both outside and inside. And and I think there's a lot of potential with how the defense could be shifting in the future. So I think you look at his commitment as a kind of another. Um, checkmark towards him building the defense he wants and really getting the type of talent that that you need in order to to win Big Ten championships. I think that's a great way to put it. So, guys, uh, we'll make sure to update on any recruiting uh, changes going forward. Hopefully, Braden uh, can get his uh, group chat going and get some of these other Super 6 guys in the state over to Wisconsin. So, exciting stuff to watch in the class of 2022. All right, our next news story, uh, UW approves uh, the black W to be put into the crest. Uh, we've talked about this a couple times 
in terms of the logo change, uh, essentially to support the black community, uh, kind of underrepresented communities to stand with them as an ally. I know a lot of the players on the Wisconsin football team, Fayon Hicks, Madison Cohn, a few others were really the, the grassroots guys to get this and, and start pushing this change. And eventually Wisconsin decided that they were going to, in fact, do that. So uh, the W, the old crest, uh, the throwback crest that you guys see on Camp Randall in terms of the field house, uh, we'll now have a black W. So I think this is a really cool move uh, for the Badgers. You, know, you look across the country, uh, so many programs are having issues in terms of, of race relations and, and being an ally and being supportive to underrepresented communities. Uh, I think Wisconsin, while this will you know be the start, there's definitely more that can be done. But at the same time, it's a lot better position to be in than you know having these scandals or having these issues that are that are coming up in the news. So I applaud the Badgers. Uh, for making that change, and uh, I'm excited to see. But I really think what stands out to me for this uh, is that the players across the country are starting to really find their voice uh, and show that they've got power to make change. So what did you kind of make or take away uh, from the Badgers in the athletic department's announcing this? Yeah, I think it was a step that you could see was going to be coming. There was so much support um, from this um, based off of the student-athletes coming together um, to, to push forward this initiative. Um, and I think it really just goes uh, a, at least to acknowledge um, some of the issues that are going on uh, at campuses across the country and across our country in general. I think it's an important first step. I, I liked that Barry uh, went ahead and acknowledged that this is by no means uh, going to fix anything, but rather it's mm. a way to go ahead and acknowledge um, um, the status of people of color on campus and in the athletic department, and that the fact that this was a student-led initiative by the athletes, I think, is really important. And for them to have their voices acknowledged and heard is is important in this aspect. And so I think, well, obviously there's a lot of work still to be done uh, in a lot of different areas. This is something that it's uh, it's good to see happening. Uh, across the athletic department as this this crest should be worn on all of the uniforms in this year. Yeah, it'll be great to see. You know, I think it's uh, definitely a step for the athletic department to do the right thing and and show that they stand in support, and I think that'll be uh, an awesome news story to, to follow, and I'm excited to see it on the uniforms uh, and where they put it. All right, guys, we'll hop into our next news story. And this is actually one that we, I didn't have in the notes, uh, but I did want to mention uh, the South End Zone reconstruction plan was announced by the athletic department that is going to be put on hold. Uh, there's been a $77 million project to you know kind of change that area into not more of a lounge, but uh, they're going to change it up to you know have different uh, suites, things of that nature. Uh, which I found uh, to be kind of a cool project. At first I was worried because uh, season tickets are close to that in Z1, but it didn't look like it'll affect us. But what do you make of uh, that kind of being pushed back uh, a season? It makes sense given everything that's going on with coronavirus, but wanted to get your take on that as well. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It just it makes a ton of sense given everything that's going on financially within college athletics. It's really hard to justify throwing millions and millions of dollars at um, that program when you're having um, renovations going on at the Kohl Center and you're also looking at staring down the barrel of potentially having a shortened season without fans. You're, you're possibly looking at um, all sorts of different ways that coronavirus could tilt 
um, college athletics. So I think it, it makes a ton of sense to say, hey, we're going to pause this. We can always come back to it. And, and I think that that's something that will – We'll eventually get done, and I think it'll be really nice when it is. But at, but at the same time, it's it's not necessarily at the forefront of what needs to happen at this time. Um, for anybody who's actually driven by the the field house, the, some of the renovations uh, are, are you can see kind of on the exterior of kind of the walkway up, and things have already been happening, and those will still happen. It seems like, but um, in terms of the actual Reno inside the stadium, that's that's going to be paused, and I think that was the right decision, not only from a financial aspect, but just kind of the optics of it, as a lot of people are struggling financially, uh, and and the program itself is probably in a, in a tough spot with that, to then say, hey, nope, we're going to keep going and spend all this money is, is, is tough, a tough sell. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a lot of, uh, you know, up in the air, uh, changes that uh, are, might still come down, you know, cuts, things of that nature. Uh, so you're going to really have to pay, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think the athletic department paid attention to what was going on. It can wait a year. Uh, and whenever that renovation gets done, it'll still be a, a cool uh, update to Camp Randall. But for right now, it's something that can certainly be put on the back burner as they focus on uh, some more important things uh, w- within the athletic department and the Wisconsin community. All right, we're going to transition here a little bit, guys, over to Wisconsin basketball. The Badgers offered Braden Huff in the class of 2022, and a few other new offers uh, also went out. You know, in terms of Huff, uh, kind of a guy that you know, reading up on him when I was uh, looking for highlights, uh, a few videos out there, but really sounds like the kid uh, is a very underrated player. Uh, out of Illinois, you know, Chicago Sun Times wrote that Huff is the best young prospect that nobody knows about yet. Uh, so I think it kind of speaks to Greg Gard really doing his due diligence and getting out there and, and turning over every rock to find these quality players. But what do you make of uh, Braden Huff and that offer that went out for the Badgers? I think that's an offer that was probably going to be happening. He He's a kid who's who's starting to blow up a little bit. He's got offers from now Creighton, Northwestern, Virginia Tech. I expect that's only going to continue. I think you look at his, his size and what he brings to the table with his skill set, he, he could easily end up as the top 100 type player um, or at least in that ballpark, um, given the fact that he's really added all of those four offers within the past uh, two weeks. So he, he's a kid that's, that's definitely not done growing, continuing to improve as a 22-22 kid. But then I also look at some of the other offers that are going out, like Joel Helbert out of North Dakota, 6'10", forward, who I think fits really nicely into what Wisconsin usually does. Some of the aggressive offers in the 2021 class. Um, I think we we talked about um, the offer um, last week of, of Hunter Salas that went out, five-star kid out of – Omaha, but then you also look at the offer that kind of has been wondering if it was going to happen to James Graham out of uh, Nicolet, really talented kid whose uh, list is really, really strong, but the Badgers, as the home state draw, maybe are shooting for the, the moon here. The Badgers don't necessarily need to use their 2021 scholarship if, if they don't want to. They could back it up into 22 to try to maybe – balance out their roster numbers a little bit more. But but at the same time, I think they're really saying, hey, if it's not going to be Graham, 
it's not going to be Salas. We're, we're really going to look at them. We're going to bank it, but we might as well shoot for the stars. So I like the strategy by guard to, to be aggressive here, and I hope that it, it works out for them because there's there's a lot of really talented players that they're targeting here recently that I think would would fit nicely into the culture as well as the, the brand of basketball that the Badgers are, are trying to use. I, I totally agree. You know, I like that Greg Gard is is going out there and, and putting pedals to the metal and saying, you know, we can we no longer have to you know sit back and and wait for the big programs across the country to to have their pick and then you know we kind of go with you know or go after what's left. You know, Greg Gard's coming off a Big Ten uh, conference championship. The program is thriving. They've got uh, you know, of course, we're hoping college basketball starts off without a hitch. Don't even want to start with that, but we're hoping that you you see a team. Uh, this year that is maybe even better, competing for a Big Ten championship again. So now's the time for, for Greg Gard and the staff to, to hit the road and I guess not hit the road in person, but to really get after some of these guys, you know, get these offers, get the, the groundwork laid. Uh, so hopefully you can convert on some of these offers and uh, land some of these players because there's a lot of talent out there that the Badgers are going after. And it's uh, really just exciting to see uh, what this program's doing and, and what they're trying to, to make on the recruiting trail. Yeah, because right now they they do have a really uneven group of players, just because they're gonna they're so senior heavy next year, and then super freshman heavy. There's not a lot in between. You know, you've got a guy like uh, Tyler Wall, but really in between there, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. So I, I think you you look to trying to make it so that it's not all coming in all in one class and trying to spread it out a little bit more is good. But at the same time, I think uh, some of those 2021 kids are uber talented, and I think you make an exception and are like, well, screw it. They can help us right away. Um, I think you make those offers and you go for it with the understanding that, hey, you don't get it. You're able to roll those over and you're just fine. It's it's kind of like the what we've said with, with Nolan Rucci five-star offensive lineman, you're probably good with the two you've got, but if you can get a five-star, you try to do that every day. Um, so I think I think it's a good strategy by the Badgers, and I like the aggressive approach. I do as well. All right, guys, we'll transition over to our player profiles here quick. We'll touch on them before we get into our interview with Matt Brown. And the first player that we're going to talk about is a up-and-coming player in the secondary, Samar Melvin. Uh, played a little bit last year, four games, a couple starts towards the end of the season. Uh, really made some tackles, uh, showed some promise for the Badgers in the secondary, but what do you make of Samar Melvin as he comes back this season? I, I don't know about you, but I was really impressed with what he brought to the table late last year, playing in those four games to, to preserve his red shirt. He, he was a guy that you really didn't think would see playing time uh, as things started the season just because of the sheer numbers that they have at that cornerback position and a lot, and a lot of uh, guys who have, who have you know, already been out there and played well. But he, when Rashad Wild Goose was hurt, he, he, he went in and he was the guy at that nickel spot. So I think you look at what Melvin could be in the future. I think he's very, very talented going to be one of those cornerbacks that you're going to look at as probably going to be a multi-year starter potentially but I I think just if he can continue to improve continue to to do that I think there's there's no ceiling at what he could bring to the table because he is a very good corner Um, I thought that Minnesota game he played really well after that that one that he tripped right off the beginning of the Mm -hmm. game Um, so I think I think he's a, a 
player that I'm excited to see in store in maybe two years from now. I think that's the projection I'm most excited for because next year or this upcoming year, there's still a lot in front of him. There's still Caesar Williams, Fayon Hicks, um, and, and Wild Goose. But then you look at it, um, he's going to be really going against Dante Burton, Alexander Smith, and Wild Goose for that, that spot that, uh, that Caesar Williams is, is going to be not, um, at. Uh, the following season. So I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what happens with him and his development. Yeah, I would agree. I think probably going to be a guy that gets worked into a lot of games this upcoming year uh, in, in a limited role. You're obviously hoping that, that Bayon Hicks and Caesar Williams remain healthy along with Rashad Wild Goose where you don't have to go into your two deep as much. But Jim Leonard is not afraid to rotate his corners, uh, rotate his secondary, get a lot of fresh bodies in there. And I think if Something happens where, you know, a guy does get injured for a couple games. Uh, Samar Melvin's a guy that they can really go to and rely on and, and hopefully get him some reps and some experience. I, I, I love that. You know, the, the four-game redshirt rule really worked out well uh, for him because uh, you can preserve that, still get into some games that work perfectly for him. And now this next year you can get him into a couple more games and, and hopefully get him some reps so that in, you know, the following season uh, things can really start for him. All right, our next one in the secondary as well. John Torchio, a reserve safety, guy that played a little bit last year, kind of got thrown into that Northwestern game after uh, some ejections. Played pretty well in uh, in a very limited role, but what do you make of John Torchio as he comes back? Yeah, I, I think I, he was a guy who surprised me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I know he turned down that scholarship to Cal to end up walking on at Wisconsin. And I think he's a player who could easily end up being um, a, a really serviceable role player or starter down the road. I think you look at his size at 6'1", 205, he, he's got good size for the safety position. He's He was really good at coming up and getting tackles. He had that interception in the Michigan game in that second half after Burrell and Pearson were, were uh, both ejected. So I think – Really bright future for him after seeing what he did as a redshirt freshman. And I think he, he's a guy that I don't think is, is ever going to be as heralded as, as some of the other safeties. You know, you know, we were talking about a four-star safety in 2022 just a bit ago. And, but I think that Torchio is, is the type of guy that have really flourished on at Wisconsin and as a walk, in the walk-on program. And I think he could be a guy that might not be as important impactful as a redshirt sophomore this year, um, just because you, you're also bringing, you're not losing anybody, but you're also bringing back Scott Nelson. So it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be tougher for him. He'll probably still play some special teams. But really, he's a guy that you get to his redshirt senior year, he might be on the field quite a bit, or redshirt junior year even, he might be on the field quite a bit. So I'm, I think he, he's definitely a, a body that you want in that safety room, and I think he's a guy to definitely watch out for because He's going to be somebody to to utilize on special teams, but also could 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 be like a, a Leo Musso type guy as a senior. Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. You know, Leo Musso, a guy that was in a similar role, special teams guy, uh, made a big impact late in his career. I think you could definitely see that for a guy like John Torchio. Uh, just given the the talent they have in the secondary right now, I don't necessarily see him beating out uh, players this year. But down the road is is certainly a spot where you could look for him. Uh, as you maybe get some of these four-star recruits like Braylon Allen and you know Hunter Waller up to speed, uh, maybe Torchio is a guy that uh, is maybe more of a placeholder in the future to to get to some of those guys. So definitely a career to watch uh, as we get going. 
All right, we'll flip over to the offensive side of the ball quick before our interview with Matt Brown. And the tight end that we're going to talk about today is tight end Clay Cundiff, a kid that redshirted last year, uh, battled through some early season injuries, still looks like a, a very popular prospect for the Badgers uh, in terms of the tight end position, uh, good blocker, but really good size and catch radius that, that I think you want out of a tight end. So what do you make of Clay Cundiff as he maybe comes back and uh, gets – gets a little bit more experience than what he got uh, last fall. Yeah, I mean, he, he got in a little bit last year. He was he was a guy that played a little bit in, in fall camp as well, got quite a few reps. I, I just think the tight end position is so hard to come in and, and play immediately as a freshman. It is There is so much that goes into hand placement and, and you know, just getting your body right, understanding um, blocking schemes and the shiftings shifting motion of everything in Wisconsin system that I think it was pretty unrealistic that him or Rucci would come in and, and play right away. Um, and I don't think the staff anticipated that they'd have to. I think they were leaning on a guy like Gabe Lloyd to, to possibly be there for Ferguson, but that didn't happen because of injury and Luke Benchwell's injury. So I think I think you look at it, Cundiff's a guy who is all depends on how he comes in in fall camp. He's 6'3 and, and two. Uh, 245 last time we saw on the spring roster, and I think that's that's good size for uh, a tight end. He's more of an inline guy, um, more of a blocker. So I, I'm just interested to see what he can become, and really just that that young tight end position group in general. Who steps up? Is it him? Is it Rucci? Is it maybe one of those freshmen? I doubt it at this point, just because the tight end position is so hard to immediately jump into. Or or are they still kind of biting? behind it, a guy like Gabe Lloyd, who's hopefully now healthy, um, or, or a guy like does Jack Eschenbach add a bunch of weight. So I think Clay Cundiff's a kid who, who definitely is going to be used next year in, in some way, shape, or form. I'm just excited to see what that tight end room really looks like, and he's a key component of it. Yeah, it should be a promising room. A lot of young players, a lot of talent coming up. That uh, It'll be interesting to see how uh, the, the coaching staff works some of those guys in, see which guys kind of get the jump early. Uh, and get worked in there to kind of be that backup tight end role, uh, whether it be, you know, in a double set with Jake Ferguson in terms of blocking or whether it be, you know, uh, a pass catcher. A lot of those guys do both things well, so it's going to be interesting to see how that tight end room plays out. Uh, All right, hey, guys. We'll, oh, hold, go up, ahead. hold up. We, so just as a uh, quick teaser, we are recording this at 1230 here on Friday and just now popped up on Twitter that Jerry Cross – uh, four-star wide receiver, tight end uh, of the Milwaukee area, just announced that he is going to be committing tonight at 6.30. So um, that could be the next domino to fall that within the um, Super 6 in-state 2022 class. Um, I know he's got a good relationship with Braylon Allen. So um, that's going to be something to watch here um, that just popped up on Twitter. So um, keep an eye on that. If it does pop, we will uh, – We'll cover it on the Monday, our Monday episode. Yeah, that'll be exciting. A uh, four-star kid again in that 2022 class. Uh, definitely a player that the Badgers uh, have high hopes to land. So that'll be an interesting one. And like uh, Matt said, we'll cover it uh, on Monday's show uh, if the commitment goes to Wisconsin. Uh, and, of course, we'll touch on it if it goes elsewhere. But fingers crossed, Badger fans, that would be another big get in that class. All right, guys, that wraps up our portion of the show. Stick with us here for a couple quick ad reads, and then we'll get into our interview with Matt Brown. 
All right, Badger fans, we now welcome on a very special guest, Matt Brown. He is the uh, publisher, founder of uh, Extra Points, which is a newsletter that kind of goes a little deeper in terms of college athletics. Uh, we talked about a little bit on the beginning of the show. Uh, not not so much your game recap, game analysis. It's more off-the-field topics that, that kind of shape the world of college athletics. It's very well done. Article, so you guys make sure to uh, go check that out. But before we get started, Matt, do you maybe want to give a kind of a deeper understanding to our listeners of, of what the newsletter is kind of all about? Hey, I'd, I'd be happy to. And thanks for having me on, guys. Um, Extra Points is a newsletter that covers all of the off-the-field forces that shape college athletics. So this is a – you're right. I'm not really writing uh, game breakdowns. I just, it's not really a place where I'm going to talk about X's and O's too much, but there's a lot of articles here about the name, image, and likeness debate, both within Congress, within various state houses. There's a lot of articles here about higher education policy and finance, how demographics and other and, and money impact uh, recruiting, all sorts of all sorts of stories like that. A lot of college football history. You can find it at extrapoints.substack.com. Um, you can subscribe for free and get two newsletters a week, or you can be a paid subscriber, which is uh, my favorite because this, this is literally my job at this point. That gets you four newsletters a week and one podcast a month. There's a lot of original interviews, a lot of really deep dives. Uh, that is seven dollars a month um, or seventy dollars for the year. Yeah, that all sounds great. And you know, I've uh, kicked around a few of the articles, and uh, actually, I was going to ask you, you know, kind of what you're coming recently, because I uh, I saw the Mike Gundy article yesterday, which I personally thought was a, a fantastic read to get through. So, what has kind of been your, uh, you know, just as an example, um, some focus that you've had, you know, kind of recently? Sure. There's we've touched a lot of different stuff over the past couple of weeks. You know, as, as of as of today, the last thing we wrote about was uh, a long open records-focused story on Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State. Um, what we did is we, uh, a colleague of mine, Daniel Libet, and I uh, requested op- all of the emails sent to Oklahoma State's athletic director um, right after Mike Gundy's T-shirt story with OAN became public. And so there, we, it, it, thanks to those documents, we're able to conclusively say, all right, here's exactly where Gundy got that T-shirt. He got it from OAN. They offered it for him for free, and he enthusiastically accepted. But I think more importantly – um, we, we got to see the behind-the-scenes kind of TikTok of how a major athletic department figures out crisis communications during uh, a, a big PR problem. We see multiple drafts of a potential apology from Gundy, and then Gundy ignores all of those and makes his own apology. It's basically filmed off of a cell phone. You can hear somebody breathing in the background. And you get to see what faculty and what various boosters and fans are saying about uh, the, the, the story as well. So that I, I think is really interesting if you want to know kind of how a lot of the sausage is made in college sports and, and what uh, kind of power centers are connected to it. I've done a lot of writing about name, image, and likeness. We interviewed Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. I interviewed uh, the head of legislative affairs at the NAIA. Um, if you uh, are from Iowa or Wisconsin or the Great Plains, you probably have some NIA and NAIA schools in your neighborhood. Those are much smaller institutions that aren't part of the NCAA, and they seem to have figured this name, image, and likeness stuff out. Um, and, uh, we talked to them about, about their approach. So there's, there's going to be stories about that. There's a lot of stories about finance, especially as schools are potentially looking at dropping sports or figuring out how they're going to come up with uh, the money if they don't have college football. Um, those are some examples. But we're doing different things every week. Nice. Um, 
So let's get into some questions surrounding this season. Sure. Um, Matt, we'll, we'll start with, I mean, it could be an easy one or it could be probably a tough one, but do you think there's going to be a college football this, going to be college football this season? Why or why not? It's a good question, and my answer is it depends on what, what level of college football you're talking about. If, because the pressures that individual schools are under to play depends a lot on where they're located and what kind of school they are. Like I can pretty comfortably tell you right now, I would be very surprised that there's SCS football that's played. Uh, just today, the Colonial Athletic Conference, which is one of the three um, powerhouses uh, at the SCS level, they said, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to play. The Ivy League's already out. The MEAC's out. The Patriot League's out. I would expect one or two other leagues to join them within the next couple of days. And you don't make television really. You don't really make television money, and a lot of these schools <clears throat> don't really make a ton of ticket money. So if you're not going to get the guaranteed games at the beginning of the season, then there's it's, it's not really financially worth it, especially since their their costs are going to dramatically increase um, thanks to testing and increased sanitation and travel changes. My my gut, to be honest with you, based on what I've been hearing over the last week, I think it's unlikely we have much of a college football season at the FBS level. I know most schools are going to wait as long as they possibly can because there is so much money tied up in them having a football season. And moving this to the spring would be a real financial calamity for a lot of schools, including schools even in the Big Ten. But their ability to do that depends on things that are outside of universities' controls. At the NCAA, I kind of specified this earlier this week. It depends on hospital capacity. It depends on community spread of, of corona. It depends on um, how far we are with, with, with treatment or vaccine trials. And, there's, and we're already pretty late in the game. It's, it, it is hard for me to see those key indicators improving dramatically in the next three weeks. And if they don't, nobody's going to be able to play fall football. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I think uh, as for a lot of fans, uh, that's probably been part of the frustration is that it's it's kind of waiting till the last minute, and nobody is going to be the one to be the person that that makes that jump and, and makes that decision. Uh, so it's a lot up in the air. But kind of going off what you said, if if there were to be a season, is there any certain thing that athletic directors and, and people around programs that are kind of their main concern? I mean, of course, coronavirus and and health and safety of their players is. Uh, what they say is kind of a big concern, but is there anything else that you may be seen or, or heard that uh, is a concern if, in fact, we do kick off a season? Yeah, I mean, that's far and away the number one concern. And it isn't just because they, they care about all the, the athletes and staffers as people, although they do, but there's also an enormous liability component, right? Mm-hmm. A school mm-hmm. is absolutely terrified of what happens if a football player or a football staffer gets hospitalized or, you know, God forbid, somebody dies. Um, what that does, what, what the legal risk exposure is there, what that does for their, their brand. It's, it's something that they want to avoid at all costs. But there's also an enormous amount of, of money tied into this. So let's use Wisconsin here for an example, right? So Wisconsin, um, most of the revenue that they're going to get for their entire athletic department is tied up in some capacity to football. Your gigantic $50 million Big Ten revenue distribution is financed primarily through television rights for fall football. Your ticket sales that you use to, um, and you're charging people 40 bucks to park and charging people obscene amounts of money for brats and and water and everything else, that's mostly from getting 80,000 people in Camp Randall. There are tickets, uh, appreciable ticket revenue from hockey and basketball, but most of it comes from football. 
most of the big athletic donations that you're getting come from football. Your contract with Under Armour, your contract with Learfield or whoever manages your multimedia rights, all these other big vendors, those are tied up with football. And so there's a huge risk that if football is postponed, even if that's the healthiest thing to do, suddenly you're a school like Wisconsin and you've got tens of millions of dollars in salary obligations in, uh, in, in, in construction debt that you have to service, some fixed costs, whether you play football or not. You're budgeting on getting $90 million in revenue, and suddenly you might be getting 25. And that is a crisis. Um, and that's a, a honestly, it's a bigger crisis for big schools than it is for smaller ones. And that's the, that's the number one reason why, why these big schools are putting off making a final decision as long as possible, because they are terrified of what's going to happen, what's going to happen if they don't have that money. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and the, the heavy reliance of, of programs on football is is, is staggering. Um, do you think that there could be any new rules put in place for 2022 in terms of, like, roster size, eligibility, or et cetera, in attempt to combat or respond to coronavirus in any way? Yeah, there's a, an enormous amount of logistical questions that haven't been answered yet. So the eligibility is a, is a good question. Like, what I can tell you is a couple months ago when – the, there was a big debate within the NCAA about whether schools should be allowed to honor scholarships for kids that missed their baseball seasons or softball seasons, so re-honoring these spring scholarships. They want to come back. One of the big schools that really fought against that was Wisconsin. Um, and Wisconsin was one of the, I think, rare power conference schools that said, we're not going to honor those scholarships. We, we love you. We're, we're glad you're a part of, of the Wisconsin family. You need to move on. And the, a big reason why they decided to do that is because they were worried about setting that precedent for fall. And now the NCAA has established that precedent, and so it's going to be uh, enormously expensive <laughs> if they have to do that for the fall, um, particularly for some of these schools that aren't actually trying to grow enrollment. So that's going to be a, a tough question. My, my guess is that schools will, will be allowed to uh, extend some of those scholarships, but they will not be obligated to do that. But I would also expect – some changes to roster size legislation. We had that with college baseball. Um, that would, it would probably mean some changes with the number of kids that you're allowed to sign in that immediate class. Um, I imagine there's going to be some temporary um, waivers for the APR or, or, or any penalties for, for mass transfers because that's almost certainly going to happen whenever we're able to have football again. But right now, the people that make those legislative decisions, which are athletic directors and university presidents, they're so laser-focused on the next three weeks that they haven't really begun to wrap around all the litany of things that are going to have to happen whenever football comes back next year. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, there's so much that uh, is going to unfold here, uh, aside from the the mass decision of, uh, you know, having a season or not. There's every little uh, nuance of, of a program that is going to probably be changed in some, you know, way, shape, or form. Uh, which is going to be interesting to watch, uh, regardless of the impact and the the outcome, you know, just kind of how it goes. But let's we we want to focus a little bit in on the Big Ten here. You know, you're a Chicago resident, so you're in the Big Ten uh, footprint. Uh, I believe you're an Ohio State fan, which uh, is is that correct, Matt? Yeah, that's true. I grew up <laughs> near Columbus. That that's where I graduated. So yeah. you so you like whipping up on us us poor miserable Badger fans, but that's okay. We'll look past, past that part. Um, but what is kind of your thoughts on the, the overall complexion of the conference? You know, they were one of the first ones, uh, of course, to make that decision uh, to go to a conference-only uh, you know, season this year, hopefully. But 
What do you make of the conference and, and kind of their talking points as we head into, fingers crossed, uh, a football season? Yeah, you know, the, the Big Ten's a little bit different from some other school, other other leagues right now, in that I think they have a little bit more political flexibility to um, make changes that would that would allow them to postpone or cancel football. You know, you have to remember for big old gigantic public research universities, you have a university president, and that person often answers to regents or trustees, and in some places those are political appointees. So if you're in a state where there's you know, you might have a governor or uh, some you know, po- very powerful state-level politicians that are really pushing to open everything up, and where football is culturally extremely important. Um, even a president or athletic director might not have the political juice to to to, to make an, what we what would be perceived as an anti-football decision. It's not an accident that the SEC is going to be, and probably the Big Twelve will be the last states to. Um, to, to postpone football games or, or to make some of those changes. Whereas in New Jersey and in Maryland and, and in Michigan and some other places, these schools have a little bit more flexibility to do that, right? They also like to pride themselves, uh, you know, as, as being the, the stalwart against uh, football at all costs or the excesses of, of, of Big Ten college football, right? Like they, the Big Ten, even if this isn't actually true, and I personally don't think that it is, but the Big Ten likes to, likes to brand itself as the, the forward-thinking you know, academically oriented big league and, and the Pac-12 to that extent as well. Um, they want to play. <laughs> the Big Ten wants Ohio State football to happen. It wants Michigan and Penn State football to happen. But it's only going to happen if um, it's going to be safe. And right now they're, they're, they're trying to make changes to give themselves the most flexibility and give themselves the best chance for that to happen. I'm still skeptical of Will. I think, I think that's a, a fair way to look at it just because of everything that's going on. Um, a lot has been made recently about recruiting amidst COVID-19. There's a, been a lot less in-person evaluations, a lot less kids coming on campus. Um, there's a lot of many, or there's a lot of young people who are missing their entire senior seasons potentially. What kind of long-term impact do you think that that could have on college football moving forward? That, that's an interesting question, and I would think that the the, the group that's really the most disadvantaged here it would be the, the next year's recruiting class, the, the kids that are heading into their junior football season right now, because this is typically the time of year when they are doing the most, uh, they're hitting the camp circuit. They're, they're, they're really trying to go everywhere to get as much film and as much evaluation as possible. When you're a, a, a senior and you're a Big Ten caliber recruit, especially a higher-end Big, Big Ten caliber recruit, you've probably done a rivals camp. You've probably done some something else other than your high school football season. It sucks that you don't get a chance to, to go on campus. And there are a couple of schools in this footprint that I think tend to recruit much better when you get kids on campus. Like Madison in July is amazing. There's a lot of kids that are going to want to be there in July. Madison in December, and I say this with love because I really do love <laughs> this town, it's not for everybody. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like it's a little bit easier for Ohio State and Penn State, I think, to recruit virtually there may be some of these other schools. But what I would imagine that is going to happen whenever football does come back, I would not be shocked to see a much higher rate of attrition for this recruiting class and the next recruiting class where kids are having to make decisions with incomplete amounts of data and coaches are having to make evaluation decisions with incomplete data. And that means that they're simply going to whiff on more of those assessments than they would have they have the chance to do the same amount of evaluation on both sides, um, which requires in-person uh, travel. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, you look at recruiting in that way and that the kids 
sometimes don't if they don't get all the information, it's harder to make a decision. So that uh, definitely makes sense going forward. You know, similarly, you talked about flexibility with scheduling in the Big Ten. Uh, with coronavirus and everything that's going on, have you heard maybe anything in terms of uh, schedule ideas or changes, maybe playoff expansion? I, I don't know if there's anything that's really been kicked around in that, but I know conferences want to be able to get creative like you've seen in other sports, but have you heard anything like that in terms of scheduling that way? You know, I, I haven't done a ton of reporting on the college football playoff at this point, and, and to be totally honest with you, uh, I, I'm so skeptical that the, that the season is going to start mm-hmm. or at least finish on time that that hasn't been my, my biggest priority. What I can tell you is that across the country, a lot of leagues are talking about being much more creative in scheduling. And it's a little bit different within the Big Ten. If you are a Summit League or Horizon League or like Missouri Valley League or a G5 program, you don't have a ton of money. And what everyone's talking about right now are what are schedule changes that we can make maybe outside of football where we don't have to travel as much. And one thing that I think you are going to see in a couple over the next couple of years are some of these Olympic sports where the leagues are just going to say, we're going to sponsor a postseason tournament and a champion, but we're not going to have a conference schedule. So there's not going to be Missouri Valley baseball schedules. Everyone can schedule as an independent. There's not going to be an American athletic soccer schedule. Everybody can just schedule as an independent and they'll have a tournament. Um, so, you know, for Wisconsin, it's a, it's a little bit trickier because you don't have a ton of other Division One programs in, in any sport that are in-state or are, you know, outside of Chicagoland that much closer. But, you know, if you're hoping for your chance to get Northern Illinois on more schedules in, in other sports – Now's your chance. Like, I, there, there's going to be a lot more incentive for that. For the Big Ten, you're really not going to want – you're not going to be as interested in doing – you're blowing up Big Ten schedules and everything because all those Olympic sports are contracted with the Big Ten network. And even though that's, that's not big money, BTN wants that inventory for wrestling meets and for swim meets and for baseball games. And so I think the Big Ten and the power conferences are going to try to keep those league schedules and league slates as close to the status quo as possible. But everybody else – um, is going to want want to try to go local, and um, you know th- that that may be good for Wisconsin if you feel strongly about some of the schools within a four hour radius. It, it, it's probably a little bit easier for schools in the Northeast or closer to big cities in the Midwest or South than it might be for say somebody in Colorado or Arizona where there are no bus trips, and getting getting somebody to play you at home is going to be much much harder. Um, as you noted earlier, you've been doing a lot of digging here recently on uh, name, image, and likeness and uh, NIL. Um, with us, you specifically looked at NAIA. What kind of impact do you think national um, or name, image, and likeness will have on the complexion of college athletics uh, in the years to come? You know, um, a lot of fans and analysts look at this as some great boogeyman. And it's going to mean that, oh, my gosh, now the, the biggest schools are going to have even more resources to throw at recruiting, and the gap's going to get even wider. And to that, I say, how much wider can the gap realistic, realistically get? Like, for football, you're allowed to sign 25 guys. Um, right now, Ohio State's signing 20, 21 of them as four stars, and they can't play them all, so some of them are going to transfer. If name, image, and likeness passes and we have a more liberalized marketplace, you know, best-case scenario, Ohio State signs one more guy. Um, where it's going to be interesting, and I, I honest to God think that this is a, a, a place where Wisconsin specifically could really benefit because you are a program here where you are a major institution throughout the entire state. You are the, the biggest thing in town in, in a not tiny city. You know, Madison's not Chicago, but it, it's not Starkville, 
and you know, other than the state government, Wisconsin touches just about everything uh, in, in that town. So you're going to have, even though it's not the, the biggest market, there's going to be so many local businesses that would love the chance to be able to work more directly with athletes at Wisconsin, and that's going to give create financial opportunities for those kids. And so if I'm a if I'm a coach at Wisconsin or a coach at Nebraska, I, I would look at these changes as an overwhelming positive. You know, I would call up other people within my school and say, look. At UW, we have a great business school. We have a solid law school. We have a, a lot of, of resources right here um, in, in town to um, give all kinds of athletes financial opportunities. And not just your quarterback or your running back, but I'm talking softball players, gymnasts, women's hockey players, anybody that has a big social media following. Um, so I think some of the schools that could really benefit are these programs that have big fan bases that are really invested that are in middle, middle to small-sized markets. Um, I don't look at a school like Houston or a school like Tulane uh, that with a smaller fan base in a huge market that's necessarily having a big advantage because sure, there's a lot of people in Houston, but most of them don't give a crap about the Cougars. But as you guys know, almost everybody in Wisconsin cares about the Badgers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think I really thought of Nebraska. That was one that really jumped out to me just because you don't have the professional footprint as well in, in that area or, or Iowa, Iowa State. But, um, you know, you kind of talked a little bit about this. It'll really only help the marquee players, the Trevor Lawrences of the world. But do you do you think that there is a space for um, those that, that – uh, that uh, starting left tackle or the um, starting pitcher on the softball team to to make a good uh, chunk of change out of this and to benefit from it in a positive way? Before I answer that question, let me ask you something. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes, yes. you are. <laughs> anybody that tells you, whether that is a coach, an athletic director, a fan, a reporter, anybody that tells you that the only people that are going to benefit from name, image, and likeness are superstar male athletes – Anyone tells you that is absolutely completely full of shit. <laughs> there's there, there's 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 no way around it. The, the, here's the biggest thing, right? The example that everybody talks about for name, image, and likeness is is the car dealer that loves college football and wants to go get to give ten grand to a football player. Um, there really aren't that many of those. The number one source um, or industry that's going to want to reach out to these athletes are going to be influencers. It's going to be bars on campus. It's going to be t-shirt shops. It's going to be restaurants. And some of this is going to be stuff that's not in Wisconsin at all. It's going to be in Appleton. It's going to be in Green Bay. It's going to be in Dork County. It's going to be all over the state. And it's going to be reaching out to people who have large social media accounts. If you're a, a, a completely lousy basketball player and you're funny and you have a good YouTube channel, people are going to cut you a big check. If you Matt, are Matt Ferris missed his shot. Jesus, he could have made yeah, so much I, money. Just example I gave, brother. I went to Ohio State. Uh, I don't. Do you guys know who Mark Titus is? Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. So we we were there together. And that Ohio State team had Evan Turner, who was, went number two in the NBA draft. You know, best player in, in college basketball that season. Evan had this bench warmer who would play two minutes a game and do nothing. And the most popular person on that campus, and the person that would have, no doubt in my mind, had the most commercial interest locally, would have been the bench warmer. Um, so I, I honestly look at these legislative changes as having enormous benefits, particularly for women, and particularly for sports that are, are, do not have gigantic broadcast agreements and may not even necessarily sell a lot of tickets. If you're good on Instagram, if you're good on YouTube, if you 
um, you know, have a, a deep following in a particular niche market, you're going to make some money. Like I, I've seen a couple of different uh, companies that track this stuff that I've talked to. They're like, okay, think of the 10 athletes right now that, you know, if this was legal tomorrow, would have the the uh, the most marketability. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence is on there, but there's a lot of gymnasts and soccer players on there too. Yeah, I think you you totally hit the nail on the head with that. I, it, it's going to be an interesting one to kind of watch how that plays out uh, as we go forward. But I think it's welcome for a lot of players that hopefully they can you know get the same advantages on some of that stuff that that everyone says the only the big superstars will benefit from. But all right, we'll wrap it up here, Matt. Uh, potentially further down the road with our last question, conference expansion has been something that has has been a big talking point for. A long time now. It's been a while since we've seen any changes with that. Uh, do you think there will be more consideration of expansion at the FBS level going forward? Um, here's I, I've written a fair amount about this. I think that we, we are actually going to see conference realignment. We're already seeing it right now mm-hmm. um, on some of these smaller leagues. I don't think it is likely to happen at the Power 5 level in the near future. Where you're going to see big conference changes in the next couple of years are going to be at the non-basketball Division 1 level, where we've already been seeing it. We just saw a change in the Horizon League. At the FCS level, in particular, I'll tell you this, uh, the WAC is looking to sponsor FCS football again. Uh, they're, they're reaching out to Division 2 schools throughout the West. They're reaching out to some schools in the big sky. We only have one Western FCS league. I expect there in the next year or two for there to be two. Um, I think you're going to see uh, some conference realignment and potential expansion with the A-Sun or the Big South. There is another league that's trying to start an FCS football league in the Southeast. And you're, you're going to see it, I think, at the power at the FBS level within schools trying to, to find ways to minimize travel expenses and to be around schools where they share more in common. Not just geographically, but institutionally, academically, uh, historically, all of those things. So right now we have a lot of a lot of G5 leagues where they're, they they cover wide geographic areas, and outside of the MAC, a lot of these schools don't have that much in common. So I would not be surprised in a couple of years if you see some Sun Belt schools and Conference USA schools decide to go in different directions. I wouldn't be surprised if we see potentially a new a new league, G5 league formed. Uh, the centers around the Virginias or and the Carolinas, the kind of mid-Atlantic sort of league. Um, the incentives for someone like the SEC to add another team at this point, they're just not really the same. You don't get the same television bump that you used to, and going above 14 teams uh, introduces a lot of logistical challenges. So I'm not saying that that's impossible, but like the assumptions that made that something we all talked about in 2012, they're not really the same – the same assumptions in, in, 2000, in 2020, 2021. I think we're, we're, the, the big changes are going to be more with the little guys. That makes sense, but it'll still be interesting to watch, you know, how uh, the landscape kind of shifts in the, the college football world and in college athletic world. And, uh, guys, if you liked what you've heard today on the podcast uh, with Matt, I think what we covered is, is a lot of stuff that gets touched on on the Extra Points newsletter. So if you do like it and you like what you heard, make sure to go over and subscribe. If you can, do a paid subscription. As Matt said, it uh, helps him out a little bit more uh, if you do that. But either way, I'm sure uh, it'll be nice. And, Matt, we appreciate you uh, coming on the show with us. It was excellent to talk about these big picture things. Uh, it's always fun. Uh, I think Matt and I both really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Yeah, no no problem. It's, it's my pleasure. Uh, Madison has a, in Wisconsin has special places in my heart, being, despite being an Ohio State grad. Uh, I'm happy to help. 
All right, Badger fans, well, that wraps up another episode of the podcast. Uh, If you want to subscribe to the newsletter, Extra Points, I will link to it in our podcast post at Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com, so make sure to check that out. And as always, thank you guys for listening on Wisconsin. Thank you.